Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Woo! This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. For this podcast, the Letters Podcast, and the Letters Podcast alone, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. Uh, some people have tried that, mm-hmm. and you can try. There's yeah. uh, there's no wrong every, way to spell it. Which no, is ev- fine. every spelling of Rockmeister McCool is the correct one. Um, we get emails, mm-hmm. uh, and we get physical letters, which was the case this week. Yep. Uh, here's how this episode, uh, this whole podcast, really works. Uh, you send us correspondence. You can either email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, or if you would prefer. We have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is that? Yeah, send us an uh, actual physical letter to the critically acclaimed network P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. I always throw that to Whitney because I never remember. It, it's six numbers. It's a, that's, that's six more than I need. Uh, but in any case, we, we have right, some well, letters okay, in our P.O. Box. 641565. What were the Best Picture winners in 1964, 2015, and 1965? That's, there's your mnemonic device. No. Uh, in any case, uh, it is time to read some letters, uh, and we got some stuff in our P.O. Box this uh, week. We did. In fact, we got a postcard, Ooh. Uh, which came from Japan. Nice. Uh, it, yeah, it has like the, the little stamp from yeah. Japan, and it is a postcard, f- uh, the only released image, they say, that they're going to release for uh, how, how Do You Live? Uh, Hayao Miyazaki's the, uh, the next, next and allegedly yeah. final film, mm. although we have heard that multiple times. Uh, and I think they're they're changing the title for the American release. I had heard like, that like, too. The boy in the crane or something like that. Boy in the heron, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, it says, and it's it's very small writing. So excuse me. Oh, in fact, hold on a second. Let me uh, reach in my pocket here. Turn on my flashlight. Ooh. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, as you can see, I caught Miyazaki's new one, uh, Kimitachi wa Du Ikiruka, translated as "How Do You Live?" The U is plural. Uh, in it, there's a great asmr butter jam toast-eating scene, Ooh. and the ending contains not insig- an insignificant volume of bird shit on people's faces. So they're hey, Yeah, you spoil us. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not releasing uh, preview footage, but we're getting a little preview here on the That's Critically right, that's very exciting. Um, thanks for all you do. It'd be easy to praise you at length on, on this... At length, but this is a postcard, you understand, so real estate isn't a premium. Over the years, we've heard you critique film, TV, music, books, society at large, etc. Today, may we hear you critique each other? Anyway, I'll soon be visiting the U.S. for the first time since COVID. Has anything changed? Wink. (laughs) Signed S. 
Uh, um, S, quite a bit hmm. has changed. Oh, no, it's exactly like what you remember. Well, all, um, all of your favorite restaurants are gone or moved. Yeah, the, the, that's that's the, something that really sucked. The movie theaters yeah. are in pretty bad shape. Every, yeah. you know, everyone says, theaters are back, baby. Really? You haven't reopened any. Yeah. It's the Vidiots Theater open. That was nice. That's cool. That's yeah. actually, I just visited that for the first, I didn't see anything there, but I was there for a different event. And uh, Vidiots was a store that was in Santa Monica. It was one of the mm-hmm. last... Uh, great video stores that hadn't yeah. closed down. Three and then they, Pico, I worked there. Mm-hmm. And then I they, was an employee of videos. And then they closed down, actually, but there was always this like promise that they were going to come back. And then they moved into Eagle Rock, which is pretty far from Santa Monica, but oh, still in the yeah, Los yeah, Angeles metropolitan quite area. Quite a drive, actually. Yeah, like, it's in, in, it, we say this in L.A., like, w- without traffic, it's like 40 minutes. Yes, but without traffic, it means... The, the nuclear apocalypse has happened, <laughs> yeah. and everybody's dead, you so might, the streets you might, are empty. You might catch a lucky stretch between 2 and 2.30 in the morning, but other than that, you're screwed. Uh, regardless, though, they didn't just open up their video store again. They opened up a really nice movie theater. It's very classy. Mm. It's got, it looks looks old-fashioned and nice. You know, like It looks like yeah. it, it doesn't look like some black box that a corporation just sprung up out of nowhere. Which, it looks like which, uh, they put some thought and care into it. Vidiots would have done that, the black mm. box in their heyday. Mm. Well, they actually have a small were... black box theater near it, actually. There's like two, oh, okay. there's like a big theater and there's like a little tiny one. I don't know if it's like for special events or something like mm. that, but like that's very, very small. It's more like, yeah. a, it's more like a screening room you'd see in like a, a movie studio. Oh, okay. That kind of vibe. But yeah. yeah. Uh, the big theater is really classic. Vidiots was like the classic... Uh, sort of, it was the video store equivalent of like the '90s coffee shop, where everything's yeah. a little bit run down, everything's really, really kind of funky. But they have like maybe the second best selection of movies in all of Los Angeles. Yeah, and the first best is still Cinephile, and they're still around. Which is well, nice. Cinephile's still around, luckily. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of uh, the place Mondo Video Go Go, which has long since oh, closed. I didn't. But, uh, I wasn't. That wasn't part of my time, unfortunately. No, yeah, that, that was yeah. Uh, that was a nice off the beaten path video store. That's where you go for like the really sick shit. There was a very very nice and 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 by nice I mean they had a really good selection. It was actually the messiest store I've ever been into in Los Angeles. But oh, a video store named a video Desire. Store Desire, yeah, yeah, which is not they like, flattened out their boxes and just stacked them like papers. Uh, like yeah. horizontally on the shelves. You had to. It was like it was like, like going through, through a filing cabinet, yeah. and then they would have the discs in the back, yeah. uh, and it was <coughs> always chaos. It was mm. always a mess. They tried. They could never keep it organized, and it had this real like. New York City hole in the wall kind of vibe. Mm. Like you had to, tiny. You, you had to like it even had the thing in New York where you have to like walk through like walk underneath an air conditioner that might drip on you in order to get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. I missed but, that place. Uh but uh t- two things. One, I'm very jealous that you got to see Hayao Miyazaki film that early. Mm. We don't get to here for a while. Uh I like that you mentioned the food. I've seen a lot of like accounts that's just like Studio Ghibli characters eating. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they just they, they just they nail to, food. Uh, not only do they they nail food, like there's close ups and uh, animations of the food itself. Yeah, but something you'll notice in Miyazaki films is the attention paid to the its preparation. Mm-hmm. People will like stir and boil and assemble mm-hmm. and cut. You know, all of those things are part of the scene. My favorite part of Howl's Moving Castle, a movie I know a lot of people really really love. It's not my favorite. Mm. 
I just like when Hal makes breakfast. <laughs> like, oh. and he's got that, like, fire demon. Oh, and he throws like, the eggs in the fire. He throws the mouth, eggs. Yeah. yeah like, the, the, yeah, the, like t- the fire's, like, reward is it gets to eat the eggshells. The fire is like, like a living like, being. It's like, it lives on the stove. It's just this yeah. little thing. Billy yeah. Crystal did the voice in the American version. Um, and it's adorable. Uh, but, okay, so we've, we've been challenged, Whitney. Okay. We have to criticize each other. Well, William, sometimes you're too handsome. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Shut up. Well, the, and, and you're an insincere the, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you know you do this to me all the time mm. because someone once challenged you not to do it in an episode. You were given a bell, oh, God. and you had to ring yeah. it every time you wanted to talk because otherwise you interrupt the hell out of me. I know, and I can see your face when it bothers you too. And it really, I kind of like purse my lips a little bit. <laughs> I, I see it. I see it, and then I feel immediately bad, and then I'm like, okay, I need to keep. Get, wrap this fucking thing up and shut up for a little mm. while and let Whitney talk. And I, I like to talk. I, I understand. We're on a podcast. That's what yeah. we do. We talk and talk into the box and record it and send it out into the ether. And you're uh, usually pretty talkative too. Indeed. But if, uh, if I get on a tear, you do. And I like hearing you talk and stuff. I just um, maybe I'm insecure. I don't know. <laughs> um, or you just like to talk. I do like to talk. I do like to. I I grew up. Um, uh, the the love of witty dialogue was very important in my uh, mm. in my house. Like we watched a lo- we watched like movies like the Philadelphia Story like over and over and over mm. again. And my mom would have me reading the works of Dorothy Parker and Alexander Wolcott and stuff. And nice. like we, banter was like super important to us. So mm. um, I, I realize that it can be a little overbearing sometimes, and I definitely <laughs> hate when I like. Because I'm the one who, like, edits the podcasts and, like, you know, mm. goes through all the, the post stuff. And whenever I listen to one and I realize that I've been talking for, like, several minutes and you haven't talked. And I'm, like, I'm beating myself up. Like, no! That's so annoying! I want to hear Whitney, too! Because that's when I become, like, a listener. And, mm. oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, you know what? We, we both know you do it. I think we're kind of at peace with it. Yeah. Also, um, it's uh, may- maybe you can't tell when you're listening to the podcast because I'm on a mic and you can put me on speakers and my, mm-hmm. my voice is sweetened a little bit. But my voice doesn't carry in a room, like when you're in a room with me. Not I have, as much. Uh, I'm, I'm like, very diaphragmy. Yeah. yeah. Just, well, I'm, I mean, you you're, you have a, a very booming voice regardless. Mm. But then you put, but it I next, trained that. you put it next to mine because I'm like... Thin, weak bedroom voice kind of guy. Yeah, uh, I I noticed this when I was I was a Boy Scout, and I was put in a position of authority, and no one would ever listen to me because they couldn't hear me. Yeah, my voice wasn't carrying over the noise in the room. So um, I get that from my mom. She was a public school teacher, and she had to command like a class of like yeah. forty kids, and yeah. you gotta like say things like really confident and loud in order to get the attention of that many maybe that has something to do with uh, why I want to put myself in a position of authority of being listened to so people have to listen to my weak Mm. bedroom voice Uh, I I think calling your voice weak is a little harsh just I think it's more that I'm just really loud than your (laughs) voice is weak Uh, but here's a a fun fact we use uh, one microphone it's an omnidirectional uh, and uh, in order to have anything even remotely resembling balance I have to push the mic really far from me it's, really like, it's, like, it's like one quarter of the way across the table away from me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's our recording dynamic. I, I made my piece a long time ago mm. uh, with the fact that I am forever going to be shouted out sh- and shouted down. I'm, I'm going to be sp- spoken over. So, well, um, And that's frustrating for me because uh, I do this with you because I, I believe in you and your opinions. And well, I'm you. not really criticizing Whitney, so I need to, I need to back this up okay, a bit. So, uh, Whitney. Hmm. Um... 
I can think of a few things, but uh, I also I know don't want to make ob- it. I know I I'm just, oblique. So I, yeah. <laughs> it's not, that's not really a criticism. I think that's part of your personal charm and allure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say this right now. You you uh, you you push yourself too hard sometimes. I think uh, uh, you you care so much about what you do mm-hmm. in terms of your job, in terms of your personal obligations, that I've seen you push yourself harder than you need to, and I just want to like wrap you in a blankie and tell you to go to bed. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've reached the age where, uh, you know, you, you have different wishes at different ages. You know, when you're five, you wish you could be a dragon. Mm. Uh, at a certain age, you wish you could teleport, because that's a little bit more practical, but it's still a superpower. Mm. I'm, I'm at the age where I wish uh, I could, like, compress time in some kind of way, yeah, like add extra so. hours to the day for sleeping. Uh, go in, a fantasy I've always had is you go into a library, and you touch a book, mm-hmm. and you absorb the experience of having read it. Ah. Uh, not not just the information, the whole experience. Yeah, uh, like, like as if you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, 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 that'd be great. Because that's the thing, you know, I was, um, Grant Morrison had a line, Grant Morrison's a comic book writer I, whose work I mostly like, uh, and he had a bit where he was talking about how so many of the power fantasies and superhero stories are powers that are frankly a little immature. You know, you want to oh, destruction you wanna, fantasy. Yeah, you want to yeah. lift a car over your head and or fly and fire like fire laser beams yeah. and wreck stuff. I think, yeah. look, that's kind of cool. No one's pretending that's not kind of cool. But those are the kind of things you fantasize about when you're young and you feel a little powerless and you just want to like get out there and show mm-hmm. off. And and there are other reasons as well, but just in a general sort of way, they're not necessarily the things you fantasize about when you're older. Mm-hmm. And the things I fantasize about now. Because I used to dream about flying or something like that. The things that I fantasize about now that I'm in, like, my... Ever since I've been, like, my mid-30s, basically, a lot of it is time management. Yeah. yeah. Adding more (laughs) hours to the day. The ability to, like, not need sleep and still be healthy. Mm. Like, oh, God, can you imagine all you could accomplish? There is actually... um, Okay, a little bit of a tangent. Um, uh, We're already on one. I guess we're already on one. Uh... (laughs) Uh, I That's read, another criticism. I read, we tangent too. Yeah, much. We, we tangent a lot. Well, but we know that. Uh, yeah, and some people like it. We. Uh, I was a comic book reader throughout my teen years, yeah. and I was very fond of uh, this offshoot of Malibu comics oh, yeah. called the Ultraverse. They start, tried to start their own superhero universe, like mm-hmm. from scratch. Yep. So they had all of these titles, and they were all Marvel Comics knockoff characters. Oh, all, some of them were DC all, knockoff characters. There was true. a character called Prime. Prime, which was Shazam. Which was like, uh, yeah, a little kid who then got like superpowers on top yeah, of himself. There was, a, Superman there was a guy in a superpowered armor suit like Iron Man. The, the twist was that he was uh, an ex-con who had been recruited into like the testing mm. of the suit. So that was like a twist, but it was the same character as Iron Man. Right. That kind of stuff. Uh, but one of their characters... Probably their most popular because he actually got his own TV show. Oh, yeah. Was the Nightman? Yeah, it's just called the Nightman. Two seasons uh, of Nightman. Two seasons of Nightman. Crossed over with Manimal. Uh, all of these people got powers because there were like energy blasts coming from the moon hitting citizens on Earth and giving them superpowers, and they invent- had to investigate. What did that. the moon have against us? Well, the, the moon's there, just like it's, fucking it's, off. Or? It's a whole in- involved story as to I'll where bet. those. That's how I don't actually it. care. Uh, I'm going to stop this tangent. I'm going to stop this tangent on tangent. Point is, uh, one of those bolts hit a a, a San Francisco uh, trolley. Yeah. A chunk of metal flew off of that trolley and it lodged itself in a guy's skull. Mm. Didn't kill him. They were able to, like, cut off, leave the trunk in there, just cut off the parts that were sticking out. Oh, man. And it cut off his ability to sleep. 
Mm. But he was just alert all the time. Like somehow this magic. Yeah, it, did, it didn't metal. like deteriorate him and, mentally or physically. And yeah. he also like he put to, he like put on an outfit and he snuck out at night. It had night vision goggles and yeah. he fought crime. It's like fuck all that. I just want the chunk of metal in my head <laughs> that takes away my need to sleep. Like that's yeah. that's power enough. Make a comic just about that. That's just honestly but just a, like what would you do with that much time? About a guy who just has enough uh, time to do everything because he has twice as much day. Yeah, now. but you need to get a, an extra pair of glasses. Oh, for sunglasses, you mean? No, just just uh, you know, if there's uh, there's time enough at last. Best oh, of yeah, all, there's yeah. time now. You you need to have an extra uh, pair of prescription reading glasses. Yeah. Or you're in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks for that. Uh, that's that, nice. Yeah, that was wonderful postcard all the way from Japan. I hope that was critical enough. Uh, <laughs> here's 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 the here's the God's honest truth. Hmm. Um, and and I correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth here. Uh, Whitney and I love each other. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're you're closer to me than frankly most of my family ever was. Mm-hmm. And I care very deeply about you and anything that I might criticize about you is something that I care about honestly for your own good. Oh, I just want you to be happy and fulfilled. Uh, I, I uh, my wife Angie puts it this way. I I want my friends to win. Yeah. I just want my friends to win. Yeah. What, whatever it is, I want them to win and yeah. come out on top. That would make um, me happy. We also got a rather large package. Well, uh, wide, really. Well, it's not, wide, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not and, like a, the, the, uh, a corpse and, in a uh, coffin I've, or yeah, something. But... a little bit so you can Thank hear you. it. Uh, and inside are mm-hmm. It's a letter and two envelopes. Ooh, Ooh, and careful. mysteriously, there's two envelopes, and each one is marked with a green question mark. Oh, no. So I think we're about to go on we're like a wild riddled. road trip oh, God. where we have to solve crimes before like uh, a building, do, a bomb goes off somewhere. I do like solving crimes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to read the letter first. Okay. It's come, it comes from Robert. Hello, Robert. Hi, Robert. Uh, dear CA. That's us. Uh, hmm. I have a question, mostly for Bibbs, but I also love to hear from Rockin' Master. Uh, I've been catching up on your last two months of shows. You both mentioned that you haven't been to a Chili's or an Applebee's in almost 20 years. (laughs) You asked for reasons to go, but surprisingly you didn't get many messages, and I wanted to to let you both know that I understood understood the assignment. (laughs) You can both decide which of the following envelopes you would like to have, and then finish reading the letter. Kindly waits for you to open the envelopes before reading. Right, I'm so, just gonna I'm gonna fan them out, and Whitney's um, gonna pick whichever uh, one you want. I'll take this this one on, the, on my okay. left. You're right. All, All right, right, so we should open them now. Uh, yeah, I got, hold that, on. That's the I got instructions a, on the letter. I have a letter. Oh, do, opener. Ooh, if you have a letter opener, I actually I'm do just, have a letter opener. I'm just gonna start somewhere. peeling mine open with my fingers. I got a little bit more. You know what? It it doesn't want to be found. All right, so. Oh dear! Oh no! It's a gift card. Oh no! Now we have to, to go. Applebee's. Oh man! Uh, this is going to be tough for us because the nearest Applebee's is like fifty miles from here. Yeah. Well, road trip. Right. Uh, oh, and yeah. I get one from a Chili's, and there is a closer Chili's. There's, I think there's one. I think in, there's a Chili's. I think like there's in, one in Ocean Park, but yeah, like there's definitely one around close somewhere. to where we live. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much. Hmm. Applebee's gift card. That is very, very kind of you. That that although, is uh, way too much, honestly. Although um, I, I do have to admit that I have been to Applebee's since we made that comment. Uh, we can were we switch. We were out of. <laughs> we can switch if you like. Okay. If, you, if you want the Applebee's, I can take the Chili's. Well, I, think, I think that's in the spirit of the thing. Yeah. Um, here we go. Chili's. Ooh, it's also good at Maggiano's and on the border. That's and those are n- not, that's not allowed. You have to go to. Chili's. I have to go to Chili's. You I, have to come on. Um, I, I've recently discovered a really great uh, YouTube channel. It's called How to Drink, and it's mm. uh, hosted by a bartender. And he go, walks you through booze and spirits. He 
went into Applebee's and Chili's and he sneaks out their cocktails and thermoses and tastes them on his show. And mm. it's like the weakest, most syrupy garbage you could hold. Like, a serious drinker doesn't drink that swill. <laughs> so what he does is he takes it home. He's like, well, you know, I actually have some good booze in, like, the right find a way to make it good. I'm going to yeah. yeah, take this and try to make a good cocktail out of it. So... Maybe we'll, maybe we'll try that. Maybe we'll sneak some cocktails out and it's improve actually, them. I looked up like where the Applebee's is, uh-huh. are uh, in our area, and there's like a whole bunch, but we're in a dead zone. Yeah, <laughs> like, where are we at on the west side? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're there's there is there is one like in like Ventura County, which is not that big a drive, so I can totally do that. All right. uh, but yeah, that's that's delightful. All thank right. you. Oh, thank that's you so really much. Kind. Anyway, there's more to the letter. Yeah. Now that we've opened this. So, uh... Alright, there is a bomb in these cards. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, it says, now onto my main question. Over the past year, I've been watching One Piece. Oh, God, one oh, yeah. year. So you have, like, maybe 50 years to go. Um, <laughs> and approaching 700 episodes. At this yeah. point, when a series arc ends, I say to myself, Self, how can people watch this in real time? This would have been 15 years after it originally started in 1999. If you started watching this at, let's say, 10, you'd be past 30 by now. Mm-hmm. I know Bibbs has said that he used to watch soap operas, but those are mostly for older adults who can go on for decades and may uh, not really have a conclusion. And that's what reminds me of whenever. Uh, that's what it reminds me of whenever I catch up to it. There's a major difference. Uh, is there a major difference if one is younger or older? Also, mm. a live action series is airing in August. That is of One Piece, mm-hmm. and I wanted to. Be, and I will be amazed to see how long it goes on in the series. But part of me wants it to end after just one season so you can cover it. Honestly, uh, it's on Netflix. It probably will. It'll it'll be canceled. It's yeah. almost, um, almost, unless it's a huge ratings bonanza, it's going to get canceled. Anyway, thank you for your time, Robert. Uh, Robert, thank you so much. Yeah, well, all, all I know about One Piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it's piratey stuff. It's I watched pi- like one episode. I know it's piratey stuff. Yeah. And I know there's zillions of episodes. Like, it's been going on mm. for years and years and years and years. And there's no way to catch up. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the the comparison to to soap operas is apt. The entire idea with soap operas is they're infinite, right? Uh, that was the yeah. idea. They would just keep going on mm. forever, and like you would live yeah. your life alongside the characters. Mm. And uh, the soap operas that I watched, and I only really watched As the World Turns and The Bold and the Beautiful, and I watched them with my mom. Uh, because, uh, you know, I was, I was at home a lot as a kid. I was, I had to be like homeschooled for like half a year because we moved and I couldn't get into a school and, uh, like in a timely manner. And it just made sense since my mom was a teacher. Uh, but, um, but then we, I would mostly catch up with her like in the summers or she, when we figured out how to set a VCR, we'd record it during the day and watch it at night. Um, there were characters on that show in the nineties who had been on that show since the fifties, same actor. Uh huh. Yeah. And then they were until the end of the series in like 2010 or whenever it was. A, that's career longevity. Man. That is a, <laughs> that is a very warm, cozy blanket for an actor to have that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of like soap opera actors, they do a soap opera during the day and maybe they do a play at night. And it was great. Uh-huh. It was also a great training ground for actors. A lot of your favorite actors got their start in soap operas. But you're right. It's incredibly difficult within that take a drink milieu to bring in new audiences because there's so much to catch up on. If you don't have a a mom or a grandparent or someone like I did walking me through it, (laughs) telling me who the characters are and what their pasts are, it's 
kind of impenetrable. And I th- and I think of this a lot when I think about really really long running uh, stuff and wh- and how various long running uh, media have done everything in their power to create new jumping on points. Um, I think maybe the the all time grandmaster of this was Doctor Who, because every time they switched the lead actor it was usually a pretty good time to jump on if you never had before because you had to yeah. reintroduce the character all over again. I, um, I watched Doctor Who for a couple of years and I started when uh, they rebooted it uh, yeah, with Christopher Chris- Eccleston. Same, you know? same. I really only seen a very little bit before then, but they made it really inviting and uh, then I discovered that you know, the David Tennant one was, was a great run, but uh, the, the other like ideal jumping on point was the first Matt Smith episode, which is just great Doctor Who in a nutshell. Really sells people on it. This is also why comic books constantly reboot themselves because, you know, some people might be excited to join, you know, to start reading Amazing Spider-Man number 800. Mm. A lot of people think to themselves, oh, that's so much to catch up on. And they want to because they have this sort of completionist mentality. So they frequently have a new number one just as a sort of a jumping on point, you Mm. know? Um and yeah, I'm with long-running manga or anime and comics as well. The MCU is starting to hit this point where, you know, there's there's a whole generation now growing up that's now, like, aging into the type of movies that the MCU are. Hmm. They have 30 movies to catch up on. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. They're not necessarily all going to want to. Some I, will, and some will have uh, the you know, family, like, interested in wanting to do it with them, but not everyone's going to want to. I, I heard a stat today that... Um... Like, somebody measured the number of hours, just mm-hmm. the actual raw data mm-hmm. in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, how long how, it would take to just watch the whole thing right now? Well, uh, specifically how much they made, like, year by year, and how, ah. uh, you know, f- phase by phase, and how mm-hmm. phase four, the most recent one, I think had triple the amount of, like, the previous ones, because they threw in all those TV shows as well. It's just too much. They kind mm-hmm. of oversaturated the market a little bit. Uh, it was already overwhelming, and now yeah. now it's just no, and it was nobody wants happen, to do that. Yeah. It was going to happen anyway. But again, a lot of the longer running like movie series, they're not designed to. They, they don't require you to know everything. Hmm. The James Bond movies, a they rebooted them with Casino Royale, but even before then, they were pretty self contained. They didn't tend to reference earlier ones unless a villain came back, and that didn't even happen that often. So. Yeah, you run into a problem where there's gonna reach a point, potentially, that if you're not creating a jumping on point, either through a reboot, which I'm not a huge fan of doing arbitrarily, uh, or creating an organic way to invite new people on. You don't you can you don't have to watch everything from before. You can start right here, and it's okay. And if you're excited to, there's still all that stuff to explore if you really want to. Um But yeah, it's it's you, you run into the risk of there may be diminishing returns. And even something that seems so enormously popular can diminish in popularity over time if people think about, like, oh, should I get into One Piece? How? Yeah, where do and you start? And then they just... It's, it, a lot of people consume art very passively and they're not necessarily going to be excited to do that. I, know, I imagine uh, they might w- hope the live-action one will do it. Maybe so. Yeah. Uh, I recall uh, back when the AV Club was still good... Uh, <laughs> Those were the days. It, yeah, it was, it, it's since been ruined by venture oh. capitalism. Yeah, but, uh, that's awful. The, and they're, now they're doing like AI shit. It's oh, just, it's, it's just really awful. embarrassing. It's, so, it's um, humiliating for but the, the whole industry. But the AV honestly. Club used to be like a really important stop. A of, very of information respectable and, publication. Yeah, a lot yeah. of really great authors writing for them. And yeah. they had a series that, that did that very thing. They, they took something mm. that seemed 
really overwhelming in popular culture and tried yeah. to give you an in, like a, a very general introduction. Yeah, here's and everything few, you need to know. A few pieces of or chapters within this just mm. gigantic tapestry mm. uh, as your entry point. We did this uh, ourselves, actually. We did a little exercise because um, we have a show <clears throat> and it's I th- it's funny. I think we're actually reaching this point ourselves. We have a show on Patreon called All Our Yesterdays. We are reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. We're approaching our 200th episode. Oh, like nice. it's like it's going to be in like two weeks. We don't have anything planned. We never do. But it still that's pretty. That's a lot of shows. And we like created like because it it's so hard to get through the first couple seasons of Next Generation because. There's some good episodes, but it's wildly inconsistent, and there's a lot of stinkers before it gets good in season three, mm. like consistently good. Um, we created an alternate first season. That's right. Uh, just to it's, like, just uh, like here's, it's, here's, it's, here's everything you need from from see, from seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you did you did this? I was, well, you uh, helped. You helped. I, you, I, yeah. I did the first draft, and you told me what. Yeah, was, what uh, yeah I and, and we yeah. we sort of I I guess cut together culled down the first two seasons into like. One pretty good season. Yeah. We're like, able to just kind of collapse them together and get rid the, of all of the draws. All the great episodes and all the episodes that, even if they're not great, are important in some way because they introduce a character or something like that. And just trim everything you... if you Still see it if you want to, but like just trim everything you don't need to see. Yeah. So that if you just want to catch up and if you just want to see the show at its best, you can just skim that and there's about 20 episodes total between two seasons and then you can just jump into season three and it's pretty much good consistently from there but the irony i think is is that our own podcast because we're doing all these shows and there is continuity not so much in our podcast but in the shows we're covering i mean someone jumping on to our patreon hey you've got a 200 episode back catalog (laughs) we'll see you in a couple of months but um you know, I hope, but I do believe though, like, and this is the hope, that we also have organic jumping on points because, you know, in, I don't know, like maybe six months or so, give or take, uh, we'll, it'll be time to start Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So that would be a good new jumping on point for anyone who's interested in, you know, that particular series. You can just skip right to that. You don't have to listen to every episode we did about the original series. If you want to skip that and go straight to Next Generation... You can if you want to skip the animated series because you don't care. You can do that. Although, um, I think they should listen to them all. Oh, I think they should too. But like, they, we we you don't create a show like that if you don't care about like completionism. Yeah, uh, which is something that you and I are very very big on. Uh, but at the same time, I also acknowledge that not everybody is as committed to that, and I don't want them to feel shut out. So there's. In any case, if you want to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, there's this giant, it's our one piece. It's this giant project that will take us like probably another decade. And that's if they stopped making Star Trek now yeah. to catch up. I, I, I really wish we had more time and like we could do multiple again, there's, episodes there's, a week. There's our superpowers talking about it. Yeah, right. We could just do hey, multiple well, episodes of that a week. It'd be great. Well, thank you. That's very generous. That's of really you. lovely. These, these yeah. uh, wonderful chilies and Applebee's gift cards. You got to mm. tell me what you get. At yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, I, I went to Applebee's. I got like their penne. I'm, okay. I admit, I was not impressed. I will. Uh, it's, I will beware the however, penne. Uh, uh, well, 
I you are a, a consumer mm-hmm. of meats. I, I do not I, eat meat. I, so I, I do like meat. Yeah. yeah I, I haven't eaten meat since I was seven years old, just because I never liked it. Uh, mm, so, well, how do you know uh, if you haven't had it since you were seven? Because it made me gag when I was seven, and every yeah, time but... I've tried, it's been grossed me out. So you've tried it since? Here and there, yeah. Okay, just saying. I haven't like tucked into a steak or anything. But, no, 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 know. it's fine. I'm just, I'm just I'm curious good. if you if you even tried it since then because you know taste buds change. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah. it happens. Uh, anyway, uh, that's it for our physical letters. So why don't we move to some emails? I, I can't um, think of a good reason why not. Let's here, do it. Here's an email from Jacob. I, I read your your name off the bottom. Not out yeah. of the subject. However, line. you so signed it. Yeah, that's if, what if we do. It's not signed yeah. off. Then that's name redacted. So it says, "Dear, <clears throat> excuse me." <clears throat> Dear Whitney and Bibbs, I wanted to write this to you guys, and I apologize if it's lengthy and personal, but I wanted to tell you this. The Critically Acclaimed Network has really been helping me out mentally over the past several weeks, and I wanted to write this to the both of you and say thank you. I'm a 25-year-old with Asperger's okay. who loves movies and has loved movies since I started watching the Muppet movie Mary Poppins and the Great Muppet Caper religiously as a child. I wanted to know how they were made and how the effects were done. Uh-huh. I seem to be the only person my age growing up who loved movies that passionately and was quite often ridiculed for my love of anything Muppets or Julie Andrews related several uh-huh. times, in fact, that I went home in tears. Oh, well, That's terrible. I'm sorry uh, about that. People I, can be I, real I'd, jerks. I'd say you went to school with jerks, but we all Everyone went to school Everyone with jerks. School with jerks. And, it's just that, the, that's really unfortunate, though. I'm sorry. We went to school with jerks, and it's also likely that we too were the jerks at some point. At, so at some point in our lives, you may, yeah. we, we may all be a jerk without realizing it. Hopefully, without realizing it. Yeah, but so, but but I think we all can relate to that experience. Yeah, you share your your niche passion, and someone just doesn't mm. get it. And that doesn't. And, and we don't say that to downplay what everyone goes through. We say it because I think we should all be sympathetic. Well, we're sympathetic and we relate. We understand what that that means. Um, It was, uh, it was not until back to the letter. It was not until I was in middle school and early high school that I discovered YouTube and found people who had massive DVD collections and had the same love of movies that I did. I slowly began watching old videos of Siskel and Ebert, the nostalgia critic and what the flick, which is where I discovered Bibbs for the first time when he joined Matt and Christy to review Annabelle gone girl and men, women and children. Oh God. I Remember that. that was a fun weekend. That was a oof. men, women, and children. That's is, a, is a piece that's of crap, a but, miserable film. Uh, oh god! So it's after school special stuff. It's just oh, it's awful. it's. Uh, around this time, I was developing my love for the horror genre. I was raised in a conservative Christian household on my dad's side, and was forbidden. To, it's like something you've inherited genetically. Um, and I was forbidden to watch movies like uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, or even The Wizard of Oz, which you could honestly argue is a child's first exposure to anything horrifying in media, unless you count The Brave Little Toaster. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> also, side note, my mom... I didn't see The uh, the Wizard of Oz, which is weird because we were, like, big on classic film in my family, until I was 18 because my mom was so scared when she saw it, she still wouldn't let it in the uh, house. That's really funny. I couldn't rent it and bring it into the house. I had mm. to see it at someone else's house when I was 18. Uh, I, the, we were pretty uh, welcome to watch what we wanted. We, we were kids, yeah. though, so we, me and my sister, we just wanted to watch what we had. Yeah. And uh, the only one thing we were forbidden to watch was the Flintstones. My mother would not kind let us watch arbitrary. the Flintstones. No, not arbitrary. No, she had I mean... very good reasons. She said it was uh, just far too sexist for her, her taste. Here, here, here's why I say that's arbitrary. Uh, it, it is a sexist show. Uh-huh. It's from a sexist time. A lot of shows are that sexist. That's like, true. exactly that sexist, why, if not that, more. That one yeah, and why, not the other sexist shows. Why is yeah. that the line and not, I don't know, the Honeymooners, which I it just rips that, off, you know? I think... She also just hated the Flintstones. Well, that was probably fine. a big part of it. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, I soon discovered that uh, grandmother on my mom's side was a huge Stephen King fan, Ooh. having read almost all of his books until her passing in 1999 when I was only one and a half. She was also also a devout Christian and taught both English and Bible literature in high school for over 30 years. Wow. When I discovered this, I realized that I could I could still be devout in my faith and enjoy movies that were horror or spooky in nature as a practicing Christian. I still make that argument to this day to yeah. some family members. I... I I'm not evangelical, mm-hmm. so I don't understand the like the verboten aspect of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's nothing in Christ's doctrine that says you can't read horror movies and have orgies. You're it's not, like, you're not that's... supposed to worship them. Like that's no, but you can yeah, but you can read a book. Do those things? I, you know, it's I, uh, I I you know anyone listens to this podcast for any length of time knows that uh, I'm I'm an atheist. Uh, mm-hmm. I was raised by kind of lapsed Catholics and mm-hmm. I became an atheist. Uh, but I, I remember in high school, I knew uh, uh, a girl who was, her family was very Christian. Uh-huh. And they had a book at their house that was, it was like those Leonard Maltin film guides, mm-hmm. but it was specifically for Christians. Okay. And it was specifically like, here's a movie, here's why you're not allowed to watch it. Oh, that's <laughs> That funny. was the majority oh, you know of the what? book. That's kind of brilliant because yeah. like, there's going to be a lot of kids who are like, curious about that stuff yeah and and it's it's gonna be like you know yeah going through the forbidden tome it's like making yeah. notes these are the ones i want to see I, but i remember thinking to myself like they said like all of the horror movies were like red flag there was one horror movie okay one that the book begrudgingly said was a good movie like they mm. were just like if you have to see a horror movie this is the one that's okay and it was cat people the original, not the, the remake. original cat people. The original cat people, which yeah. I, is a great movie. Oh, yeah, I love absolutely. that movie, and it's it's got it's got full it's got really rich subtext, and it kind of reads differently now than it did back then, but it still really works. Um, I, I I don't understand what makes that. They didn't elaborate as to why that one's just okay. They just said okay. they just said it was it was entertainingly spooky. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but you have oh gosh, I, you I, objected I, to to. to Frankenstein and the wanna, Wolfman. What, why is cat people okay? I want to get that book. I want to read that. Track I want to that down. Yeah, uh, I can't remember what it was called, uh, but yeah. The, the letter goes on. I, yeah. I bring up my love for horror because when uh, the great Wes Craven passed away in 2015, there was yeah. a fantastic tribute to him made by Bibbs, Alonso, and Ben on What the Flick oh, that inspired yeah. me to seek out more of his movies. I'd already seen the first three Scream movies and loved them. Next, I watched Last House on the Left, Oof. a movie that I still don't know how I feel about. Very but I do tough admire watch. a lot. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, I just can't say that I liked it. No, fair. But in 2017, What the Flick became What the Fright for the month of October, which is where I was introduced to Whitney. That's right, we did that, that thing yeah, together. I, I completely that was, forgotten I was about very, that. very happy when they let me do that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. That was, that was really fun. Uh, which is where I was introduced to Whitney, and I knew immediately that the both of you had such infectious love of horror that I couldn't help but smile throughout the entire series of videos. Cut to 2023. I've been living in Virginia for four years now, and for the first time ever, I'm living by myself. And my parents are moving to another state in a matter of weeks. I was diagnosed with carpal tunnel after issues at work. Uh, sorry about That's that. That's a pain, but pain in the hands. And my anxiety has been skyrocketing 
skyrocketing as I get closer to my parents moving. Mm. I've been trying to find any form of comfort that I can at this time, and with the Critically Acclaimed Network, I have found a wonderful comfort and warmth that I've been needing for the last few months. Uh-huh. The Iron List is by far my favorite of the many podcasts that you do, and I have been introduced to so many new movies be- uh, because of you both. Jean Cocteau's La Belle et la Bête. Yes. Thank you. Oh, that's a be- beautiful movie. Uh, David Mamet's Heist. Nice. Just to name a couple examples. Also, I'm happy to find somebody else who loves Troop Beverly Hills as much as I do. I that's have a framed you. poster. Um, a framed poster. That is such an underappreciated movie. When, when, when me and my partner, we got married, we exited the chapel to the theme song to Troop Beverly Hills. Not the cookie time, but like the opening Beach Boys riff. You can make it big. Do, 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 do so big. It was it was a cheerful, it was a memorable song. experience. Yeah. It was a lo- lovely church. It was really pretty. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, so, yeah. Once again, I apologize if this is a lengthy letter, but I wanted to tell you both that your podcasts have really helped me through these last very difficult months. I basically consider it to be my third antidepressant, and listen whenever I'm on my lunch break or at work or driving in my car. You both have really helped me, and I thank you both from the bottom of my heart. I do hope one or both of you is able to read this. You guys are the best, and party on, dudes. God bless you two and your families. Sincerely yours, Jacob. Well, thank you, Jacob. Yeah, That's party really on, sweet. Jacob. That's really, really nice. See, I'm so glad you can help. One of my favorite things when people contact us is when we find out they watched a, someone watched a movie that they wouldn't have otherwise seen. Uh-huh. Especially something like kind of obscure or older, like uh-huh. Bell of the Bad or Heist. And it just that, that's why we, we do this. <laughs> like we yeah, want um, people to find amazing art and, talk, and share about, it you talking know? about being listened to um yeah. that's kind of the critic's ultimate dream isn't it is yeah. some somebody takes a recommendation of ours but thank you for listening um it's it, almost embarrassing to hear that we provide comfort in that level we're, so, we're literally little, both on the verge of tears right now yeah, it's, it's, it's very sweet of you so it's, thanks for it's, thanks for writing it's it. so easy to uh, to feel like we we have no impact whatsoever and it just means the world to us so yeah, thank so you thank you for writing it um yeah and good luck you're gonna be you're gonna be great you'll yes you'll you'll survive no well i was gonna just try and getting my thoughts together okay uh you'll survive you'll survive this um yeah change is is difficult but it's also good and uh, you'll be fine something i think about a lot um uh, when i was learning about evolutionary science for the first time as a kid yeah um you always heard the phrase survival of the fittest the Mm. strong survive yeah uh and that implies that like a certain kind of physical strength Mm. physical dexterity agility uh and a lot of um a lot of assholes Mm. have taken that philosophy to mean oh well it means you know be strong be pushy be loud be forthright be extrovert dominate dominate other people that's it um evolutionary science it's not about who's fit who's strong it's those that adapt yep uh strong in meaning strong uh capabilities of change yeah uh being able to adapt quickly it's it's Mm. not that you fall it's that you quickly stand again Mm. Uh, and uh and and again quickly is is relative and mm -hmm. there'll be a learning curve but regardless yeah it's humans are the weirdest animals we we are terrified of change almost to a one and yet we're really good at it Really good at it because it yeah. always happens, and, yeah. and uh, the more it happens, the more you change. And it, it, it sucks when it happens rapidly, mm-hmm. but it can be very stressful. Once you develop a habit, once you develop a talent for change, which happens, yeah, uh, 
you find that you are a much more nimble human being. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about physically. You're not just, no, no, le- just le- leaping around a gym. I'm talking no. about you can handle you can mentally, handle more things. Yeah. It's really really great. Yeah. So good good luck to yeah. you. I think you're going to be great. Here is a letter from Paul. Hello, Paul. Um, it, Hi, Paul. <laughs> I am a chemist, and I know what those tubes are. Is the title. <laughs> uh, we, we, we were talking, I think it was when we were talking about one of the Godzilla movies. I, we I, think, about, I think it was Frankenstein um, Conquers the World. We were uh, talking about there's, in a lot of sci-fi movies or, or horror movies, when there's like a scientist in a lab, they often put like just a bunch of lab stuff. Yeah, and it's they, clear they, that the people... It's chemistry equipment, but it's not being used for anything correct. They're picking the equipment that. that looks cool on camera. And one of the things that we were talking about was uh, there's like a whole like series of tubes where... You put like some liquid in something, and then it goes in a tube, like like in a spiral, spiral and then yeah. like goes over here where it gets under a Bunsen burner, and then that boils up, and then it goes into another tube, and then it drips into another tube. And I, I, I'm sure there's a reason for it, but in, I express my ignorance in that podcast. I'm like, we always see that in movies, and no one ever says what it does. And, and my. My understanding, and this was like left over from like a scrap of a memory of a, a yeah. re- recollection from high school, was that the coils are like a cooling mechanism. But Paul is about to school us on this. Thank so, you, Paul. I'm looking forward to this already. Uh, I, I were, I've worked in a, in chemical laboratories for about 30 years, and those tubes in the German scientist's lab in Frankenstein Conquers the World are condensers used for distilling okay. and refluxing. Mm. Some of those other tubes are cooling water junctions, which send cooling water to more than one part of the apparatus. So okay. there's a cooling apparatus. Got there. it. Uh, a reaction setup usually consists of a round-bottom flask heated up by a heating mantle, mm-hmm. which is covered in insulation. In fact, real reaction setups are wrapped in cloth bandages for insulation, then a condenser, which is the large tube with the narrow tube coiling through it, which carries mm-hmm. the cooling water. Finally, there's a collection flask, where it drips, right. uh, which is usually where the other part of the cooling water is routed. So it condenses the vapors coming off of the condenser. Got it? Kind of. <laughs> okay. I still don't know why we'd do that. Well, we're not chemists, are we? No. <laughs> it's yes, we are chemists. In case you were wondering, it's used for making mezcal. All right. Oh, nice. I love mezcal, by the way. And anything that tastes like a campfire, I'm good with. I, oh I, I fell in love with mezcal just recently. There's a yeah. mezcal old fashioned in Las Vegas. Oof. Bliss. Um, most of the time in movies. These are not set up in any kind of realistic way. I kind of assume that part. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, I've never seen a setup outside of a fume hood because it's necessary to use volatile solvents when performing these types of reactions. Uh, also, there's usually a vacuum pump, uh, so the smaller tubes held together with those rubber collars could be vacuum lines. Yeah. Little stopper things. Uh, in other notes, uh, thank you for getting me to see Barbie. <laughs> Yay! Uh, I have nieces and a daughter who are all obsessed with that eyeball-searing pink world since they were old enough to walk and talk. I saw it in a packed theater late on a Friday night, and there were gasps from the girls next to me whenever a toy appeared on screen that they uh, that they or their nieces had. Plus, the crowd cheered at the speech. Yeah, the speech. big feminism speech, yeah. I don't want to reveal any spoilers, though. I'm, uh, I'm like you, Whitney. I don't believe in spoilers for myself, but I don't give them out. Uh... Also, another point, that kid in Frankenstein vs. Baragon looks like a cross between Lux Interior and the Swamp Monster played by rockabilly singer Sleepy LaBeef in The Exotic Ones from 1968. Wow, you <laughs> just became Whitney's cuts. best friend for that. <laughs> Thanks for all you do, Paul. Well, I, I know... That, that, that's maybe the greatest uh, paragraph in, in the English language. That's really great. There. 
Um, I I I love it when um, uh, scientists or, or even mathematicians or yeah. anyone in that particular, you know, sort of educational area, uh, when they like say like, oh, I know the answer to that. Let me explain it to you, and then they do, and I'm like, that didn't help at all. <laughs> like I hate it when when in, it's one of the it's one of the most overused cliches in movies. When, like, someone explains something scientific, and then another character says, uh, can I hear that in English? Uh. When usually the movie has already kind of dumbed it down for us. Um, but in reality, I, I, I get that a lot. And I just like, okay, so it's a, it's a condenser, and it reflexes. Why? <laughs> well, when, when, would, when would one need this? Well, maybe you can get like a junior high chemistry book and learn some of those terms. Didn't you take chemistry in high school? Yeah, I forgot it. Oh, well. Because it was terrible. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry you That's had a bad I, chemistry class. I had a, I had a, uh, all, even the good teachers I had hmm. in science and math, they were not able to permanently ingrain any of that information in this brain. I, my brain, uh, I, I, I think my brain's good at some stuff, but like it is not good at math. Or scientific like figures or anything like that. There's something about, like my brain just gets bored and wants to do something else as soon as you start giving it like rote facts. Uh-huh. Um, and I was always just like I could keep it in my head long enough to get a decent grade in the class, but then once I was out of the class, unless it was something I actually did need, which to be perfectly frank, unless you're going into a more scientific field, something like architecture, somewhere you need math. On like a regular basis, a lot of us don't need a lot of the math we learn in school. Well, uh, like up until a point, up until calculus hasn't come in very handy. I suppose so. Um, That's what I'm saying. Let let me stop you because the the idea that there needs to be some sort of utilitarian utilitarian function to being educated is something I bristle at. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying understanding the way the world works, and that's didn't understand. Well, that that's that's an issue, and that's I think not a result of. The uselessness of math in general. Oh, I don't but, think math yeah. is useless. I'm right. saying that if if there are certain forms of really high math mm-hmm. that, uh, for me, and this mm-hmm. is for me, um, if I don't actively, like, pre- it's like a muscle. If I don't actively use that part of my brain, my brain just pushes it out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so like, I remember, like, how to get the area of a room, but not a rhombus. Like it's, I don't really need a rhombus, and I'd have to like look that up if I need it. Like none of that, none of that found purchase in my gray matter. So, <laughs> I'm I, uh, I'm I'm envious of people who are good at it. I really am. I know we need science and math, uh, well, and I'm glad I'm not the one responsible for it because I'd be terrible at that. I, I think there are some people who just because of their disposition have a, a certain capacity for understanding certain kinds of concepts. Yeah, aptitude, uh, irrelevant but aptitude. I, but I think uh, I think everybody is is wise in one capacity or another, and learning a lot of these things is taught, hmm. and it's just a matter of continuing to apply yourself. So, just saying I'm bad at math is it's a little yeah, reductive. It's, it's a little it's, reductive. It's reductive. Yeah, I sure, I'll uh, grant you that. Hmm. On the other hand, I know me. I'm bad at math. Yeah, and, and and I know there are also some people who have like learning disabilities and understanding course, problems, yes. and they, this that doesn't apply to them because yeah. they're they're going to have comprehension issues. Um, yeah. But uh, but even then, there's there's still wisdom and intelligence. It's just a, you know, absorbing. I, the again, I'm not decrying the concept of math. I'm just right. saying I am bad at it. And if you try to explain math to me above a certain above like I don't know eighth grade math. 
Uh-oh. my brain just sort of starts to fog over a little yeah. while and I, start remember trying to remember like ah oh, spider-man <laughs> I like Spider-Man. I, I I got you covered until Trig. After yeah. after Trigonometry, I'm I'm out because like, I I tried Calc and I couldn't like, do like it. Like Algebra One, great. Geometry, understand the concepts. Have to look up most of the formulas. Yeah. Anything after that, except a basic probability, mm. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Right. Uh, here's our next letter. We're okay, talk too much about math. Um, yeah, it's please. From, it's from yeah. R J. Hello, R J. Hey, R J. Um, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, during your review of Cobweb, uh, Bibbs said he felt that the boogeyman didn't do a good job of presenting the children's fear or state of mind, and I have to disagree. Okay. Uh, my expectations for that movie were low, having only learned about it a month before release and knowing little more about it than it starring Chris Messina as a hot therapist dad. But I was really taken with the film. It's ultimately nothing new or special, but I felt that it presented the children's fear in conjunction with the grief they were experiencing from their mother's death and really elevated the whole thing. Hmm. Uh, but that got me thinking, and here's my question. What are the best films or individual scenes about grief? Oh. I'll start with two. They're both messy depictions. The Party's Just Beginning. Karen Gillan's directorial debut oh, I uh, revolved around her character spiraling after losing her best friend. Not everyone was keen on the way it was handled, uh, and to an extent I understand that, but I really appreciate the irrational, selfish side of grief that I experienced in similar circumstances being displayed. It helped normalize it for me and bring home the point that dealing with grief is a fucking nightmare, mm. and trying to do it in the right way, right in quotation marks, was very difficult. Similarly, there's a scene in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Mm. a film I like but don't love, in which, spoiler alert, Sam Rockwell's cop character learns of his chief's death and marches over to the billboard business and throwing the owner out of a window. It's horrifying. It's a completely thoughtless, anger-driven move with the terrifying real concept of a police officer abusing his power so significantly that I found it incredibly powerful. Obviously not healthy or sanctionable in any mm. scenario, but it got an incredibly emotional response out of me. Right. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Sincerely yours, RJ. Yeah, grief is uh, grief is a hell of a fucking thing. I- I'm glad you like the Boogeyman more than I did. Um, it may come down to taste, uh, but for me, I thought the movie conveyed the idea of the of all of that psychological complexity without actually really kind of getting enmeshed in it. But hey, if it worked for you, that's awesome. Uh, grief is, is such a fucking weird emotion. I had... I had a, I have a weird experience with grief because I was very lucky growing up that no one particularly close to me... I understood death. Like, people... Relatives die. But no one who was close to me. Like, someone who's lost really devastated me. Like a distant cousin or something like that. But like, you know, no one who was really close to me died until I was in my late 20s. Mm. Or actually, they might have been in early 30s. Um, but the problem was that when that happened, I was completely unprepared for what it would do to me. Mm. I had no prior experience. Yeah. That, that with, with grief that like sank in and lasted and became part of you. And my therapist at the time explained it's, it's, it's something you... It's like a muscle you've never used before. I keep going back to muscles, but like it's you don't know when you when you experience a complex emotion for the first time, you're totally you have no defenses, you have no experience, you have no wisdom. It you just feel it completely. It's like why everyone's like first love feels so overwhelming mm-hmm. because you've never had that before. Um so f- for years, I would watch movies that were about grief, and I would understand them, but I would understand them a little academically. And then yeah. only after my mm-hmm. my father died, 
um, did I watch them and, and all of a sudden scenes that, you know, even scenes that feel kind of tacky, you know, like those kind of like treacly, oh no, your father dies in the last act of the movie and it's mm-hmm. kind of trite in the way that's presented in the plot. But it's still effective because yeah. if you've actually lost a parent, it hits you really hard and you remember the basic moment and it's a shorthand and people get really lazy about it, but it can still work and it's annoying. So films about grief were not something I was really paying a lot of attention to until later in life. And the first one that felt, and, and I know you have problems with this movie, but I think the first one that felt kind of right to me in some ways was um, A Monster Calls. Oh, okay. And A Monster Calls is a story uh, uh, about a kid and his mother, played by Felicity Jones, uh, is dying. She's, I think she has cancer. She's dying way too young. Uh, and he is struggling with all these emotions. People aren't really talking to him very much. And then a giant tree monster comes to him in the night and says, I'm going to tell you three stories. And when I am done, you will tell me your story. And the stories are all things that like feel like they're going to have these kind of pat Brothers Grimm, Aesop's mm-hmm. Fables kind of thing. And then they get turned around and actually are like have ugly lessons that maybe aren't even necessarily wise. Mm-hmm. And what the movie is teaching the kid is that grief is incredibly painful and there kind of is no wrong way to do it and you need to and, and there's no there's no shortcut you're there's just, no you, shortcut you feel it and it's going to be extremely yeah. painful you're going to do things that you regret you know you're going to you're going to be mean to people you care about you're going to lash out at school something and while that may or may not be good it's understandable and yeah. your grief is understandable and it's okay it's okay to grieve yeah. And that was something I needed to hear at that moment that it was okay yeah. to be messy. It's okay to grieve. Yeah. You don't have to like you don't think people would tell me like hey, my I lost my parent recently too or I I know what this is like and if you want to talk to anybody you can. And I never talked to them mm-hmm. because I thought of my grief as a burden. And I wish I had. And now when I know people who are going through the same thing and I'm close enough to them that I can do the same thing, I say the same thing and I actually hope they take me up on it. Yeah, um, like you said, I have my issues with the monster call. Yeah, um, it's not your favorite. It's, I get it. uh, like it, it's emotionally effective. Like it, mm-hmm. it made me missed over and get a little teary. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's kind of a, a has some pretty irresponsible messages in there. Um, Again, I think it, it's kind it, of it's, about that. But uh, yeah, fair I, enough. I understand yeah. that. Just the, things happen in the movie, which I think, oh wait, the, the kid's actually kind of a monster himself. And maybe that's part of the point of this, but the, the film doesn't address that, and the, I have issues with that part. But yeah. um, there are many, many wonderful films about grief and death. Uh, God's sake, just look down the list of Ingmar Bergman movies sometime. You'll find multiple... That's your of, solution to every problem. Fine, fine. You know what? If if people are rushing off to the, the filmography of Ingmar Bergman frequently, great. Something good is happening. Uh... I'm very fond of Blue, the Krzysztof Kozlowski movie, yeah, which is about a woman pick. who lost her husband. That's a very adult version of grief. Mm. It's not like... A Monster Calls is about a little kid yeah. who's experiencing grief and sort of ex- has to filter those through a little kid experience. Yeah. Uh, Julie Pinoche has grown. She's an adult, and uh, grief doesn't look the same for adults. We all have different ways of coping, and her ways of coping seem... 
uh, it's difficult to tell if they're healthy or not. And mm. after a while, you realize this is just the way she's doing it, whether or not it's healthy. Uh, a movie I think about a lot, though, and mm. I'd like to recommend. Uh, it's not about death, but it is about grief. Okay. Uh, it's a gangster picture from a couple mm. of years back called 44-inch chest. Stars, uh, That's a hell of a pick. Yeah, it stars Ray Winstone, and uh, John Hurt is in it, and uh, Ian McShane is in it, uh, and one other really notable British actor. I, don't, I didn't um, see it again. So. Uh, let, let me look up the, the full cast. I know. But, Brendan um, Gleeson, he's in everything. Well, I said Brendan Gleeson. Oh, okay. He's the lead well, I was right, wasn't I? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 44-inch chest uh, is about a, a bunch of gangsters, mm. and Ray Winstone plays this fellow who's uh, it was Ray Winstone machine and Tom Wilkinson was the other one. Mm. Um, Ray Winstone's uh, wife has cheated on him with like a, a younger man. Yeah. And their plot is they're going to kidnap this guy who slept with his wife mm. and they're going to torture him in this warehouse like gangsters. Cause that's mm. what that happens in a gangster movie. The problem is he's running behind. So it's kind of a, a play where it's all set in this warehouse while they're waiting for the guy to show up. Mm. And they just have conversations. Uh, we get to learn a little, a lot about their characters. We see a lot of flashbacks. It's a movie, so we get to see these things sort of staged. And uh, at, near the end of the movie, they finally bring the guy in. They put, you know, time to a chair. It's like, yeah, we're going to torture, we're going to cut off your fingers, all these nasty gangster things. And Ray Winstone sits in front of him, and while he's, like, threatening this guy, mm. he just starts to realize that he doesn't want to hurt him. He's just sad that his marriage fell apart. Yeah. Like, he just realizes that the romance was gone and how much he profoundly loved his wife and what his relationship was really about and how he just didn't realize that was happening. It was... And all of that movie, all of this macho gangster posturing... Yeah. ...was all sprung from a very profound, unacknowledged sadness. Yeah. And the movie 44-inch chest changed the way I looked at a lot of gangster movies. Yeah. That it's not about being tough or macho. It's not about strength. It's about mm. fear of fear and death and sadness. Yeah. And using these... Again, empathy. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the, the inability to empathize and openly feel forces men. Because 44-inch yeah. chest yeah. is very manly, sure. macho kind of a picture. Um, Ian McShane plays a gay character and uh, the John Hurt character is really uncomfortable with that and they started like bickering about his sexuality which is f funny because John Hurt was the gay actor but uh, uh, that that is a film that I think really shows the profound unseen impact of grieving mm. grieving something like something sad that happened in your personal life yeah and how our mechanisms for coping don't even look in that direction. Hmm. There, they, some of what we do in our lives springs entire, from un, entirely unexpected places. Yeah, I actually thought of another one, and it's actually one of my for a while it was one of my favorite movies. I guess it still kind of is. It's just not the first one that comes to mind. Uh, is a wonderful film uh, with uh, from uh, director Anthony Minghella, okay. who's probably best known for directing the Best Picture winner, The English Patient, or The Talented Mr. Ripley. But I, but I think it was his first film. Was a film called Truly Madly Deeply, mm. uh, which, which stars. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful! Uh, it came out. It's it's a little similar to the movie Ghost that came out like around the same time, and Ghost just sucked up all the oxygen. No one was paying attention to Truly Madly Deeply, and that's a shame. And one second, I actually want to make sure I get uh, the lead actress's uh, name right because she's not someone whose name I remember off the top of my head. Uh, Truly Madly Deeply, nineteen ninety. Bada bing, bada boom. 
Um, Juliette Stevenson, who actually recently had okay. a small role in Secret Invasion. Uh, so if, if that name sounds familiar, it might be where you've seen her recently. Um, Juliette Stevenson plays a woman whose husband, they got married young, uh, died pretty recently. Like within the last year. And they had their whole lives ahead of them. It was very romantic. They loved each other. They didn't really have any relationship problems. And she's sad. And she's lonely. And she keeps trying to keep him alive in, like, her mind. Like, he'll, he'll like, give her advice on how to brush her teeth, even. Like, don't forget to go up and down. Like, that kind of thing. And... One and this is just it's affecting her life, it's making it really hard for her to live. And then one day she comes home from work, and her husband, played by Alan Rickman, is there. Hmm. And he's really there, and he just said, I saw how sad you were. But so he came back to life, so he came well, like it's sort of he's he can't leave the apartment, okay, so and no one else can know he's there. So he's haunting her, essentially. He's kind of haunting her, but it's it's very sweet, and they they love each other, and they're having a wonderful time. And as she spends more time with him, she starts to remember everything about him. And again, he's a nice guy. Mm. But their relationship had imperfections. She had only focused on some memories in her grief, and she had kind of lost the big picture of him. And as she started living with him regularly and remembering what he was really like, even when he's doing weird things like inviting other ghosts over to watch movies, um, which is adorable, um, <laughs> she starts realizing that when she's away from the apartment, she's starting to feel a little bit more alive than when she is in the apartment. And so it's about grief, but it's also about managing grief, how to keep people alive without making them like, you know like an albatross around your neck mm. and how to move on. Yeah. And it's sweet. It is funny. It is romantic. It's very, very sad, but it's ultimately very uplifting in a way that doesn't feel, um, hackneyed or Hollywood. And it's wonderful. And I hope, I hope more people see it. It's, it just was not available for a while. And I, it's probably on streaming somewhere now. Mm. So anyway, um, do we have time for one more? Uh, sure. Uh, cause we got a, a letter from Mark Wake. Hey, yeah, good uh, to hear from you, Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark, who recently joined us on Blue Sky. Uh, yeah. Uh, hello, fellas. I'm not going to do Mark's voice. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you Mark, Mark is an old friend of ours. He's, mm. he's been on the show before. He's talked to, We talk about him a lot. He's, and, a, he's a legend in the Los Angeles film community. He's yeah. hosted many a screening. He's done a lot of commentary tracks. Uh, he's one of the most intelligent people you would ever meet about yeah, film. Just, you will and, learn anything. If you talk to him for more than two minutes, you'll learn something. It's yeah, amazing. Uh, he says, hello, fellows. I wanted to suggest a topic for a future Cancel Too Soon Ooh. episode that, much like the recent Turn On exploration, will be easy to do because it ba basically consists of only one pilot and a re-edit, which together will take less than an hour to watch. Ooh. Oh, well. That, that, if it fits in our schedule, we're on. Um, you and I just saw like a new movie tonight, and just yeah. before we was gone, like, hey, how long is this? And we found out it was 93 minutes, and we both just like just sank into our chairs like, oh, oh thank God. This isn't a two-hour and 45-minute action spectacular. Oh, this is going to be so efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch it twice, and we nearly matched the length of... Some of these Batman things. Uh, hello, fellas. Uh, da, 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 turn on Laugh Track. It's the title of this thing. Okay. Laugh Track was conceived in 1978, a pilot for a series created by Second City Toronto member Stephen Campman, who later appeared on the first two seasons of New Heart and co-wrote several films, including Clifford. Oh. 
The premise of the show would have uh, presented random episodes of forgotten TV shows redubbed with jokes along the lines of Jay Ward's Fractured Flickers, where Bullwinkle voice... Bullwinkle's voice actors added joke dialogue to silent movies or mad movies where PD movie, PD public domain movies mm. uh, were redubbed by members of the LA connection improv group. I've uh, seen I, some of those. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the mad movies I'm familiar with um, sort of a predecessor to, to MST3K. The pilot was written by Campman and PJ Toro, another uh, second city Toronto player who would later team up with Campman to write episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati and back to school with Harold Ramis. The voice cast featured Campman, Torokvai, Don Dixon, and most notably, Martin Short. Uh, the TV Ooh. show ribbed in the pilot was The Cisco Kid, and originally called Sleeping Gas. Ultimately, the pilot never sold. Years later, in 1981, SCTV was in its third season on TV, and to save money at the end of the season, the Laugh Track pilot was repurposed as the final episode of the season, oh, wow. since it had the same producers as their show, and Martin Short was now a cast member. Oh my God, Some hilarious. of the scenes were cut for time and replaced with new framing material with Andrea Martin. It only aired once, after which, depending on who you believe, the Duncan Ronaldo estate objected to the concept, or more likely the producer's license on the AP of that Cisco Kid episode was limited and expired. Uh, some of the jokes will be cringy and have aged poorly. Uh, it's true of most any economy. Uh, yeah. But there's still some funny material to be found, as it's definitely an interesting visit with comedy actors slash writers who would later excel in bigger projects, as well as a pre uh, prediction of the appeal of MST3K. I think you gents will find it a worthwhile exploration. And again, you'll be in and out in an hour. And he even included uh, links to the YouTube videos. Nice, yeah. So, uh, fun to you, Mark. It's funny, I was looking up, I was trying to find this on IMDb while you were doing that, and I can't find Laugh Track, but I can find the episode of SCTV, it's called The Cisco Kid, okay. uh, and there's not even any trivia on it, it's like explaining that, so once again, Mark has schooled us. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mark. We, will, we will look into that, Brilliant. and again, we were open to doing some more Cancel Too Soon specials, mm. but it can't be part of our regular rotation right now. For, just because just yeah, we just don't have the time. We don't have time to do um, what we're doing now, frankly, but we're trying our best. And, and I'd like to one, read one. One more letter, yeah, because uh, it. it's brief. Um, we were complaining how in one of the Ant Man movies, like they've discovered a technology mm. that can grow stuff, yeah, which means world hunger should be at an end. Yeah, uh, we're about to be schooled. Uh, oh, so no. Teresa says, uh, "Hello, the both of you. I'm listening to your latest critically acclaimed, and I have a problem with your argument about the solving of hunger with pim particles." I understand that uh, the mass of an object just changes size, and if that is the case, you enlarge a tomato, you may change how big it is, but that does not mean the energy, that is the calories, etc., be becomes more. So persons eating aren't getting nutrients. Anyway, thanks for the good days, Teresa. Um, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two things right now. Mm -hmm. One, that is very clever. <laughs> here's your, uh, mar here's your Marvel here, no prize. Yeah, yeah, here's your no prize. I, I respect the no prize, but there's also a part of me that's just like. So invent a way around that. Like <laughs> you invent, you, you can come up with pim particles, but you can't come up with tomato particles. Like well, also, just, like if, if, again, we're, we're talking about fantasy science here. Yeah, so. the, the, this you know, Ant Man can grow to huge sizes. Technically, his bones shouldn't be strong enough to hold that much weight. They so absolutely should, should collapse. Not. Um, but yeah. you know, he, he can do that because it's fantasy. Yeah. So like we we accept certain things. Yeah. Uh, and and to be fair. They don't want us asking that question. No. It's very inconvenient to them. They would rather just enjoy the little fantasy that they have mm. of what if you could shrink down or grow really big and fight some bad guys. And I can respect that to a point. The problem is when you make three whole movies and also set him in like the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe well, mm. and then encourage your fan base to constantly talk about it. 
that we're going to start running into problems. Y- yeah, it, it's not it's intended a, to hold up to that close scrutiny, quite frankly. And, and uh, I uh, I hold that if these films were animated, mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're mostly CG, but I mean, but, if, know, they, if like, they were like... If they were like Spider-Verse animated. Yeah, yeah. if they were like, or hand-drawn, whatever, um, yeah. they wouldn't look real. Mm-hmm. They'd look like drawings. And we'd be a lot more forgiving. And, yeah, and, and we're okay with a fantasy universe if the characters are moving drawings. Yeah. Uh, it's it's easier to ex- in fact there's like there's lots of papers on this that the uh, the emotions are somehow pure because you're getting kind of an impressionistic mm. version of reality yeah you're projecting more. reality yeah uh, yeah so you're kind of drawing out a lot more authenticity from an animated yeah. product Scott McCloud talked about yeah. this in understanding comics about how like the more realistic a drawing mm. uh, the less relatable it actually is because if you just draw like a circle two dots for eyes and a line for a mouth. Most people can look at that and see a face, mm-hmm. and, or see themselves in it. Uh, but once you start like this, I'm gonna I'm doing a Star Wars comic, and I'm gonna make sure Han Solo looks exactly like Harrison Ford. Well, now we're not projecting onto that; mm-hmm. we're just seeing Harrison Ford, yeah. and it's that guy, and, uh, and it's a different level of of immersion, really. Yeah, but I, I think seeing a lot of these uh, these pictures in live action, we have actual actors. Yeah. Paul Rudd is in these things. Uh, now that there's real people, there's real like real skin and real hair and real mm-hmm. teeth and real gravity. Uh-huh. We're going to start to question the actual practicality of these fantasy things because now we're watching real people. The fantasy is that much further away. I understand that they're still really like super animated and there's an, you know mm. aliens and creatures, but I think that's the the fundamental difference between the two media. Uh, live action film entertainment versus seeing a drawing on a page. There's a lot more fantasy we can accept from a drawing on a page mm-hmm. than from a live action scenario, which is going to have us questioning the reality of the situation because we're ostensibly seeing the real world. I only have one counter argument to mm-hmm. that, and that counter argument is two words: Paul Rudd. Because he's Paul like Rudd a is cartoon. He is a living cartoon, not because he's like super elastic, like that Jim Carrey rubber face thing, but because he doesn't age. <laughs> You look at him like he's he's kind of gotten older, but he hasn't aged. How does he do it? And he doesn't look like he's like you know had a lot of work done. Maybe he has. I don't know. But like it just looks like time has no effect on him. Mm. And once you accept that, I'm at the point now. I don't know. Maybe he can shrink. (laughs) Like I don't Uh, know if he can do this. Why not that? He's he's finally starting to look his age, which is weird because he's 137. I, I love Paul Rudd. He's I love wonderful. him too. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful he actor. In, he was in that Turtles movie. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. He yeah. played Mondo Gecko. Mondo Gecko. Which is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite toys from that line. As a he, kid. he gets to say lines like, oh, those humans, they, they get to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he had a fun time doing that. Yeah. Anyway, thank you everybody who wrote in for We've Got Mail. Uh, if you want to write into a future episode, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Whitney, we've established they cannot remember six numbers, so please tell us the P.O. Box. Yeah, send us a, critically, a letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Super special shout out to everyone who wrote in. If we didn't get to your email uh, in this episode, we apologize. We might get it to it in the future. Uh, or you can always email us again, or if it's like super important or timely or something like that, you can always try to give us a nudge. Um, yeah, we're also uh, on on social media. We're on we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. I'm Matt Whitney Seibold. I'm on t- Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm, I'm not on Twitter so much these days, no, but I'm still around. 
Uh, and we mentioned already, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You can listen to all of our new shows ad free. You get episodes of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday a week early. You can get that giant catalog of Star Trek podcasts. Uh, if you if you join up at that tier, and we're adding new episodes every single week, we're doing every episode of Star Trek ever. We recently did a commentary track for The Exorcist that you can download if you're a patron at a certain tier. We're currently working on the next episode of Only the Best, where we review every single uh, Best Picture nominee in Oscars history. You see what I mean about not having enough time? <laughs> this is a real concern for us. <laughs> <laughs> and we have other stuff to do too We have families for Christ's sake um, But seriously though Thank you for joining us Thank you to everyone who helps keep this show alive If you can't afford to be a patron and you want to help out uh, Leave us a comment uh, leave, us, leave us a comment, leave us a review Leave us uh, a star rating wherever you find us That really helps us in the algorithm So uh, thank you everybody once again And that's it Sincerely yours, Bibbs And Me him. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 